It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh, and I am so excited right now to be talking to Emmy award-winning actress Annie Murphy, who is one of my absolute favorites. I feel like I saw more of you in pandemic than, like, a lot of my friends, of course, (laughs) because I binge Schitt's Creek like everyone else did. I mean, it's a brilliant show. Everybody in the cast is brilliant. I have a little bit of Lexus on my Amp Up Spotify playlist now. It's, Um, I mean, you can't say enough wonderful things about it, but why do you think it found such a cultural home during like the worst part of lockdown? Oh man, I mean, I really do feel like we kind of moved into people's living rooms. during the pandemic, we, I think it's because, you know, the last four years, let alone the last year and a half, the last four years have been, you know, pretty gloomy, uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. And I think what Chips Creek offers is just a really kind, loving, happy place where nothing really goes wrong and everyone fits in and everyone's included and it all works out in the end. And so I think that kind of provided escapism at its finest for for people who were maybe looking for a little um, boost or desperately looking for a little boost as I was. <laughs> yes. What did, what did you binge? We were all binging you. Oh God, I my binge list is so embarrassing. It's a it's mostly in the reality TV realm. Okay. Yeah. There's this uh, a no judgment zone. Thank you. Okay. Good. This is safe. Um, uh, Ninety Day Fiance. And oh my all God, yes. the spinoffs. Um, and then most recently, I've been on a real below deck tear, uh, specifically Mediterranean, but like I don't, you know. No, any below deck that. works for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that's been taking up like so many hours of my life. Uh, but, you know, no, com- no regrets. No regrets, no judgment, whatever you need to do to get through the next part of this. I think we should. So while you were talking about the the like space where everyone is great and everything works out, it kind of made me realize that it, this is also a show about some some like unlikable people learning to love and be loved. And maybe we need more of that in this moment. Like Alexis is kind of singularly unlikable when the show starts. I mean, all the whole family is, but yeah. she has that added burden of being this trope that we all recognize, the like poor little rich girl. How yeah. did you make us love her? Like, did you have to love her for us to love her? And can you maybe tell some of the other poor little rich people out there how, how to make that emotional? <laughs> <laughs> how to become more likable? Yes. Um, um, <laughs> no, I don't have advice. Well, no, you know what, like it was, I was really, really lucky because um, the writers are so wonderful and we're very aware that no one wants to see a one note spoiled little rich girl for six seasons. So she had to go somewhere, but I really am so proud of the arc that they chose to write um, because I think going into Schitt's Creek, Alexis had never actually loved, like felt love before, romantic love anyway, um, or really true friendship. 
And so to be able to play someone who's learning about those, the most important things in life really in her early thirties um, was a pretty cool, <laughs> a pretty cool experience. And I think, you know, she learned, she softened and learned to lead with uh, a less selfish kindness. And I think that that's probably what my advice would be to put out there, just lead with that as much as possible. Lead with a less selfish kindness, I think is a pretty good mantra for whatever the next part is. So it's been really fascinating to watch your career and then the 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 birth control project that you're you're working on now which is so timely with what's happening in Texas and I want to ask you all about it but there's a, a missing middle piece that I want to get to first because yeah. you've got another show that I don't think is getting nearly the kind of attention that it ought to get because I have never seen anything like Kevin can F himself. Like I hate marriage format sitcoms. I hate them so much that I almost turned it off despite that. I love you. I almost shut it off five minutes in, but the title was like, okay, it's Annie Murphy. And the title is the title and I'm going to keep watching this. And you know, you fairly quickly figure out what you're doing. You're toggling between the sitcom reality and the real reality of these long suffering housewives. And the real reality kind of feels, feels almost like a horror movie because largely you're doing what we sort of would have maybe expected Peggy Bundy or Marge Simpson to do in their off time, which is plotting to kill their husband. (laughs) This is one of the most explicitly feminist shows I've seen on TV, on AMC. Like what, what drew you to this material? Um, I mean, it was such a unique, I had never seen or heard of any, any kind of approach like this before. Um, I thought it was so smart. It, um, brings up so many, <laughs> so many issues that we need to talk far more about. And it kind of exposes the underlying misogyny and racism and homophobia that we've been kind of told to laugh at all of these years because there's a laugh track, so it must be funny. Um, and, you know, it was created by a woman. Much of it was directed by a woman. It's heavily featuring like women in very strong, but very flawed roles. Yeah. It was like, finally, like, yes, that's, that's what being a human is, is being flawed and continuing, whether you're learning from your mistakes or not, you just continue moving on and, and keeping going. And um, I just, yeah, it you know, there's, I feel like not only women, but uh, there are a lot of people who are frustrated and angry. And so I knew that people would really kind of hopefully identify with the frustration and anger, but also the, the hope um, in my character and kind of the the desire to f- find something better and improve her world one way or another. Not that I'm condoning murder. Um, no, obviously we can <laughs> stipulate it. I, and I love the exploration of, of masculinity in it. Like these characters are set up as like the bumbling man children, just like sitcoms. Yeah. But to the women in their lives, like their actions have real consequences. And without giving too much away about the final episode of the first season, because I want everybody to watch it start to finish, that bumbling man-child trope can have a, a, a real world violent side. And I'm, I'm wondering like, what kind of conversations did you have with the guys in this show about this? Were they on board with the mission from day one? Yeah, I think, I mean, they're all, despite the characters that they're playing, they're all very kind, wonderful men. And sure. uh, actually two, like 
we all watched over Zoom, we watched the first episode together. And oh. when, we, when the episode finished, uh, my friend Ray, who plays Sam in the show, kind of had this like pale, shocked look on his face. And he was like, I am so sorry, I need to go call my wife. And we're like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And he was like, I just saw way too much of myself in Kevin and I need to go and I have no apologies to make. So he called his wife and had an hour and a half long conversation where they just like kind of talked shit out. And and that to me, even just that, if if it's just Ray that had that reaction, like that's, that's a success, I think. Oh, no, when I say that something is an explicitly feminist show, I, I really mean like men should watch it. <laughs> I mean, like this is a show that, that has something for, for everybody, especially if you have ever seen one of the sitcoms that it's totally pillorying. So can, can you say anything about season two? I can say that there is one. That's um, great. Yes, we just found out a couple of weeks ago. So that's so exciting. Um, and, and I think because it is such a, it's such an interesting um premise I I'm so excited for it to be able to like grow into itself and keep and for us to keep telling these stories and I I don't know what's going to happen like I have no idea but I'm just I'm really really excited to keep keep on with that um so yeah we go back and start shooting in January well I'm very excited to keep watching it so that is that is excellent news okay so moving from explicitly feminist content in the media world to explicitly feminist content in the the real world. Um, it's been a tough week for women and reproductive freedom. And um, I think we're learning exactly how little people who do not have uteruses know about how this whole ish works. <laughs> so, so I wanted to ask you about your new venture because it, it speaks directly to the importance of women making their own rules when it comes to contraception. So tell me everything. Tell you everything. Well, everything. <laughs> um, I was, Fexi basically reached out to me many months ago and uh, I was asked if I would do a, like a Zoom with the CEO to talk about the product. And for some reason, I was like, all right, well, this, not for some reason. I was like, this is going to be a man. This is going to be a man telling me all about birth control and telling me all about my body. And like, yeah, let's mm-hmm. bring on that Zoom. Let's see what happens. And I logged onto the Zoom and it was this wall of women um, in the center of which was Sandra. And over the following hours, she proceeded to truly blow my mind uh, telling me about her story and telling me about this product, which is a non-hormonal birth control, which yeah. you use per time you have sex, you administer it yourself. It's a lot like a, like a tampon applicator. So right. you, and, and it's localized, non-hormonal, and it's completely in your control when you use it. And to me, it just was like, yes, of course. Like, where has this Yes. Where has this been all my life? Because I, I don't know about your personal experience with birth control, but um, I mean, I started when I was 16 on the pill. Yeah, like just being yeah like, same. That's what you do. That's right. what you do. You're popping hormones in every day to your growing, changing young mm-hmm. body um, without being educated about it. Cause it's just, you know, it, it's, that's, how you do it if you want to be sexually active 
Um, so yeah, I, I did that when I was 16 and then I was being like ragey and cryy and depressed and not feeling myself and not understanding what was going on. And then I was like, well, it's gotta be the pill. So I switched to the ring because I thought that was better and more localized. But then after years on the ring, I was like, it's just localizing the hormones, like one of the most precious areas of your body. Right. So I stopped, I just stopped birth control entirely, which is also a risky thing to do. And you're putting it in the hands of the guys at that point. hundred percent. I feel like in the nineties, we used to hear a ton about like, where is the female condom? Like where, like, why don't we have that? And like, they made that weird bag that you were somehow supposed to get in there and no one was ever going to use that. That wasn't going to work. But like when, when that was kind of such a fabulous failure, we just kind of dropped the, like, the idea wasn't the condom. The idea was where is the birth control that women can use when they want to be sexually active and not when they don't. <laughs> and that question just kind of went away. Well, not anymore. And I feel like Sandra has been just, she's she's fighting the good fight in such an incredible way and getting to know her over the last little while has been so like, sorry to sound so cheesy, but re- like genuinely, genuinely inspiring. She's, she's doing this for the benefit of of as many women as she can possibly access. So I just, it's been so, so wonderful to to work with her. What's it like talking about this kind of stuff? I feel like in the last week I have talked on this show about my period, women's periods, like way more than I, I normally do. And most of it was, was trying to explain that like the six week Texas ban isn't really six weeks. Like you're technically pregnant for two weeks before you even conceive because that's how medicine does it. And then the the rest of it depends on a woman being super regular. Like it depends on like the rest, like that last two weeks that you have to like figure out you're pregnant, get your test, get your abortion. That only works if you have a, a 28 day cycle, which I do because I'm still on birth control pills. I'm still on birth control pills because every time I go off of them, my period becomes so horrendous. And the physical changes that I experience are so bad that I'm just like, eh, I haven't had any negative effects from it yet. So why don't I just stay addicted to these hormones, which I know is not exactly a great thing to do. The point is most people don't understand how women's cycles work at all. Yeah. When you're talking about this, like do, do people get squeamish? Like what kinds of conversations do you have? I mean, so far, no. And I'll let you know how the rest of today goes. But like, because I have had these conversations with women, particularly with women that I love, it's only been like a deep sigh of relief. And like, where has this been all of our, all our lives? And thank God this finally exists. Um, because I feel like so many women have had that same trajectory as, as I did being like, this isn't working. This isn't working. What am I doing? I need to just quit. Um, so I feel very lucky to be able to kind of to bring this into, into the lives of the ladies that I love. Um, but hopefully, you know, I, hopefully the conversations continue to be very positive. Um, but I, you know, I fear they won't all because this is the world that we live in but you know. it is but i think part of part of changing the world that we live in is having the conversations that we would want to have if we lived there already and hoping yeah. everybody else catches up 
Absolutely. I'm assuming this is something that like 15 years ago, your agent or manager probably would have warned you off just like 15 or 20 years ago. Kevin can F himself wouldn't exist because we were still watching married with children. Yeah. Like how, how much have you seen things change over the course of your career in terms of women being able to own their space and have the kinds of conversations that they, they frankly want to have with their platforms? I feel, I feel so excited and so hopeful about where we're at right now. I think since, especially since the Me Too movement, you know, things really are changing. People are making a very concerted effort to change the way um, things are and have been for so long, which is so deeply flawed. Um, So it really is a very exciting time. What a time to be alive is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that a lot. I don't usually hear it in the context of things being exciting and optimistic. So, so I think my, my next question is how are you keeping the optimism up and can you lend me some? Um, I have a very small reserve, but, um, I do, I do tap into, you know, a couple of times a day. I do, I think, you know, if you're, if you don't have that sense of hope and optimism, like, oh boy, it's, it's tough. And it is tough. It's hard to keep, keep that, um, uh, burning. But, um, I think the more conversations we have, the more we realize that we're not in this by ourselves and everyone does want, or many people do want the progress that we have been craving. So keep that, keep that in mind. (laughs) Do you think you're going to be seeking out explicitly feminist content in the future? Like, is that something that really like gets you up in the morning or are you like dying to talk, you know, to, to do a (laughs) rom-com? Um, I'm dying. I'm dying. I am doing dying to do a rom-com, but I, I, uh, you know, keeping, keeping the conversation going is so important, whether that's, you know, on screen or off. Annie Murphy, thank you so much for joining me and good luck with the rest of your day. I hope you have nothing but positive conversations. Thank you so much. It was so nice chatting to you. It was nice talking to you too. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.